church a dwelling place and a showcase for the Holy Spirit. So if you could once again just join me in prayer, I would love that. So Heavenly Father, we again turn our hearts towards you, and I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would just be the teacher here today, that you would just set me aside and just move through me to encourage the hearts of these women, ones that are sitting here and ones that are online right now. Lord, I thank you, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to John 16, I'm going to read some passages um, before we really jump into everything. But John 16, beginning at verse 5, and we're going to read through verse 15. It says, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that I and the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. In these passages, if you just sum it up, I love it because it's always all about glorifying our Father. The Spirit always glorifies the Father. God, in his deep grace and mercy, not only saves us, but also changes us so that our lives may testify of him. Then he helps us, as we read here. He leads us, he guides us, he convicts us, and empowers us all along the way that God would be glorified. If you'll turn now to Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, and while you're getting there, I've been so blessed this week because on the radio, they're saturating the teachings with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it just has been so good. It's like they, they shouldn't wait till Easter to do that. They should, they should be doing that like every month. But Acts chapter 1, I got this Bible that has large print. And so the pages all still stick together. It's not, not broken in enough. Okay, picking up at verse 4 in Acts chapter 1, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in your own authority, or his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we are to be witnesses to the end of the, the ages, into the, into the world. The key word in here, a phrase is, you shall receive power, and then you should be witnesses 
throughout the whole world. Now, I know this is, you probably have already gone through these, but bear with me while we just refresh ourselves. Now, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So we know here, when G- after our Jesus, our Master, ascended into heaven, he continued, he continued to direct the church. Only now, he did so and is doing so through the Holy Spirit. Today, we get to be a part of that. Now, look over at verse 37 in chapter 2. And we're going to see the response And after the first sermon was given. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. And with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so the church was birthed and has continued to multiply 2,000 years plus later. How? Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. One more section. Turn over to, uh, to Acts chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. As we look here at um, uh, what, the fir- that what, what did the first church look like is what I wrote down. So... Uh, Acts 3431 and when they had prayed the place where they assembled together was shaken and were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness did I write down the right ones yeah let's see and now in the multitude of those who believed were one heart and one soul neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own but they had all things in common so we see that unity that had formed there Chuck Smith said, the church exists as a result of the Holy Spirit. It was he who who gave birth to the body of Christ on the day of Pentecost when he was poured out upon his disciples. Since that day, the Spirit has been at work in the church in a multitude of vital and mighty ways. Without the Spirit in its midst, the church would be nothing more than a social club or a service organization. But when the Spirit is given his proper place, the body of Christ becomes a dynamic force of change in a sick and dying world. Is it any wonder why Satan so viciously attacks and tries to stop Christians from coming together? 
1982, our pastor, my husband and I, the church we were attending, asked my husband to start a home Bible study in Chino, California. It grew weekly and began to stay consistent with over 50 people. In 1983, we were asked to turn the home in Bible study into a church, but now in Rancho Cucamonga. And so we did, by the grace of God and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, who was calling my husband to pastor and tend the sheep. We were not a Calvary Chapel when we first began. It was in 1985 that the change took place, again a divine move of the Lord. Thirty-nine years later, which sounds so crazy, we are still going, but things are much different today. In the 1980s and 1990s, churches were springing up all over Southern California. The growth was huge. Some churches turned into megachurches, thousands in attendance, and others were seeing the churches exceed to hundreds. People were getting saved at almost every service. It was, a beautiful, it was beautiful and exciting. People arrived to church early to get a good seat, and most of all, to hang out with brothers and sisters in Christ, and then hang, hung out again after service as well. To serve the Lord in any capacity was something almost everyone wanted to do. Children's ministry, get this, never lacked. Young moms and dads gladly rotated each month because, after all, their kids were in there. And so they rotated, and they found it a joy to do so. Church services were offered on Sundays with at least two, often three and four services. Sunday evenings, another service was offered, Wednesday services, and then on other nights and mornings, other ministries were taking place. Yes, there were problems in the midst of this exciting time, but overall, it was, was amazing and the fruit was abounding. Most of us were just simply grateful we were saved and wanted to do anything to show our gratitude. As the mid-2000s rolled in, we began to see a slow change. For many people, not just our church, this is across the board, even past Southern California, um, many, for many people, church was not so exciting, nor was it as needful. Serving was put on the back burner while sports and other things began to steal hearts away. People came to church with an attitude now of, what does church have to offer me instead of what can I give to my church? Slowly, in most churches, we began to see attendance decline. The love and want for the pure word of God was turning more into a desire for a feel-good message to hold me over until the next time I come. They wanted to learn how to have a greater appreciation and love for themselves rather than a greater appreciation and love for the Lord. Social media has taught us well how to be self-absorbed instead of thinking more highly of others. Jesus simply wasn't the central focus of so many for so many people. Speed up things now to the year 2020. A year we'll never forget who have been alive in this time. The year COVID invaded our lives. Churches shut down, most temporarily. Fear gripped the heart, not just of the people of this world, but the hearts of thousands and thousands of Christians. When churches reopened, many people never returned. Online services became the new way to attend church or churches. Today, many have come to the conclusion that church in person really isn't that necessary. Some blame it on COVID, but I think down, deep down, for many, not all, 
staying away has just become very comfortable and now the norm. As a result, many have become lukewarm in their fervency for the Lord and for the body of Christ and the lost. So what do we do? We pray for those people. And if given the opportunity, we encourage them to return. And if we have fallen into this category, if you're here or online, then we need to repent and ask God to empower us through his Holy Spirit to get back to our first love. Revelation 2, 4, and 5 says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The early church was not gripped by fear. They fervently met underground if need be, but they fervently got together. They knew the vital importance. And don't get me wrong, I understand COVID, you know, was very dangerous for some people. But overall, did we lose, stop trusting in Jesus? Did we stop trusting him like we did before for every other sickness that came our way? For us tonight, we need to hear and be reminded of the church being a dwelling place and a showcase for the Holy Spirit. We need to remember what this means because Satan would like to see the churches lose their zeal and their power and sit back and do nothing. And a lot of people have already fallen prey to that. He would like all Christians to watch online and never return to church again. Why? Because he knows how powerful the body of Christ is when they are united together. The church united with great zeal, power, and passion is able, as Kathy said in the note she gave me, to turn the world upside right. The early church allowed the Holy Spirit to direct where it should go and what it should do. He was in charge. The Holy Spirit ordained and established the leadership and their angry opponents said, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They were frightened because these men, in their eyes, they used a different phrase, were turning the world upside down. Can this be said of the church today and more personal of your church? And you, the place, have, you have that place a part of it. You can't blame it on your leadership. We make up the church, the people there. You are not here just to fill a chair. It's much greater. It is of great necessity that you fulfill your part and experience the blessings of it. You would miss out on so much when you just walk in the door, say hello, listen to the message, and be lying out the door and don't do anything else. We must give Jesus the preeminence in the church, for it is his rightful place then it is, that is when we will see the power of God displayed through us. So let's now look more specifically at the church being a dwelling place and a showcase of the Holy Spirit. So I kind of broke it down into, I think it's three or four points here. And the first one is, why go to church? So Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, And let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. This is a reminder that we were not meant to be isolated. God created us to first have fellowship with him and then with others. 
we see that all we see that all the way back in Genesis for what did he tell Adam it is not good for man to be alone and he's going to to, to make a helpmate actually I didn't think he said it to Adam I think it was between him and the Holy Spirit isolation offers no opportunity to stir up love and good works isolation offers no opportunity to shine for Jesus. We really need each other. Do you remember when it was announced to be staying in? And it was weird. It was just outright weird. You just kind of sat in your house. I remember my husband and I just looking at each other going, I feel a pin drop. It just felt like Everything died outside of people's homes. It was just weird, weird, weird. But even more so, spiritually, you sensed an oppression. You sensed the enemy out there, but you also sensed God doing something. And I really believe he took us in alone to deal with us privately. And I hope that you... And others didn't miss what God wanted to tell you in that time of isolation. Because what he was teaching us, we would then go back out eventually and be much more aware. And I know for one that, excuse me one second, it really made me take a second look at what really matters. Even with church life, what is really important with church life? What would I do different when we go back? Because the 1980s and 1990s, it was, it was great. It was awesome. But there was a danger in that too, because we could get caught up into to all the, the, the hoopla that was going on in there, coffee shops opening up and all this stuff that was going on. We had to be very careful that we weren't doing things that were not spirit-led. And all of a sudden, you can have all this growth and stuff happening, and who do you depend on? But pastors, there was a danger, and we saw many pastors fall. They started depending on their own giftings, their own, their own uh, 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 eloquent speaking techniques that they took courses on or whatever, and some fell hard, hard, hard. But um, let me get back together. So isolation. We need each other. So Matthew 13, 16, it says we lose our flavor. Uh, oh no, go back. That's, you have to read it first. <laughs> I can't tell you that without reading it. Go back to uh, Matthew 5. Kind of lost my place there for a minute. A lot of scriptures today. Okay, Matthew 5. Verses 13 through 16, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And if we lose our flavor, we will lose our flavor if we stay away. But together we become the salt and the light of this dark and cold and evil world. And all that we do 
glorifies our God who loves us and saved us. It should be with great joy that we choose to come together with the body of Christ to shine for the Lord. My husband and I, we we happen to live on a hill, and I love looking out at night at all the lights across the way. At Christmas time, everybody puts up lights, and some people just simply put them up. They don't even think reason why. They think they're pretty. But we put them up because it represents the light of Jesus. That's what Christmas lights are all about. So if you were just one of those that you just think they look pretty, change your view now. It's the reminder that, that Jesus is the light of the world, the one who we're celebrating. And we are to shine ever so brightly as we gather in his name. We want to be like those beautiful Christmas lights that we see. Or when you're looking out, on being on top of a hill and looking out at all the city lights, it's absolutely stunning. And that's what we want to be to this world. Church is also needed because we need accountability, right? We need accountability. It's easy to slip away when we have no one to hold us accountable. But with accountability, we are pressed to keep moving forward in this wonderful walk with Jesus, all the while aiming to be more like him. Because secondly, what should church look like for us if we're going to be these lights and allow the Holy Spirit to to be that showcase? Well, turn to Ephesians, now chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Well, when I look at just that section, it reminds me that love should be the atmosphere of our churches. Love should be the very thing that's permeating. Well, way back in the 80s and part of the 90s, but more so the 80s, um, if for those of you that were saved and in church and that they still remember this right away, we used to sing a song about love, okay? And it was went like this, love, love, love. Christians, this is your call. Love your neighbor as yourself, for God loves us all. And then it goes on to everybody's hand in hand, swaying across the room, sincerely, but you know, you've got to remember the hippie kind of, hippies kind of introduced this, this idea here. So we, it says, we will walk in the spirit. We will walk with the Lord. We will walk in the spirit hand in hand. I think I left it out. We will walk hand in hand and Wait, wait, wait. We will walk with the Lord. We will walk in the Spirit. We will walk with the Lord. And we pray that all unity will one day be restored, that they'll know we are Christians by our love. And I think I left out the phrase, but you got it. But that was what we used to sing. And it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't just like, oh gosh, got to hold hands and do that. It was like a sincerity. And there was a unity that we felt, you know, why we, why we embraced hand-in-hand singing this song. We are to let the love of Jesus Christ flow from our hearts to others. True agape love cares about the family of God and doesn't just say it, but shows it. So many people just need to feel loved. 
it was and still is so hard when we are told not to touch each other and to stay six feet apart. I mean, I don't, can't tell you how many lines I was in that somebody would say, um, you're not six feet apart. Could you walk back to your circle? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just absolutely insane. Do you really think six feet makes that big of a difference? But nevertheless, okay, when I walked into the church, I got saved. I recognized something different, different instantly, and I couldn't put every, my, pin, my hand and, or the pin on everything. But one of the things was that the greeters were hugging people as they walked in, including me. And it was a little weird because now this isn't looking like, you know, a, a hippiest church or anything like that. You know, it was just seemed a, a little weird. But also I liked it. I liked it. And what I came to realize as time went on is that it was simply an overflow of their gratitude and appreciation for all that Jesus had done for them. His love just spilled out. And when we understand what Christ has done for us, here's the perfect time of the year to to capture that. We can't help to allow in gratitude, our love to spill out, that others would be grab, would be, be gratif- uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking at? Gravitate. Capitalism, gratitude. Gravitate to us. And that's what we want, right? That's what happened when I walked through the doors of that church and I got saved at that surface, is that I was gravitated to the love of Christ that was being shown to me, demonstrated to me. Ephesians 4, also what I just read, tells us that we are to walk worthy of the calling with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity. You could go on and on, the whole teaching and all of this. But in in the days of the early church, God didn't tolerate sin. You remember Ananias and Sapphira. We're thankful that God doesn't do what he did then today. We're thankful of the grace of God. But the lesson that was purposed to come out of that, that, that section of Ananias and Sapphira is that God's requiring us to walk holy now. We're new creations. We're not of the world anymore. The world doesn't know any better. But we do, right? We do know better. And Christ has redeemed us and restored us, and he's made us new creations. And so holiness is our aim now, right? And that's what this, to walk worthy is, to walk holy. We are to walk in the Spirit so we do not fulfill the lusts of our flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is right, showing us right there, lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. That means being forgiving and keeping that unity. And then in Galatians 5, Verses 22 through 26, we'll read that one more time on uh, more specifically. But it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. But walking in the Spirit, if, the peop- if people can walk into the house of God and see the fruit of the Spirit coming and flowing from all of us, it's like just like a, a beautiful garden, a luscious garden. They're going to want to pick from you. They want to know. They're going to want to know what's going on. But the walking in the Spirit is truly a picture of 
holiness. In 1 Peter 1, uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Now I'll read that. I told you this is loaded with scripture. God's word can say far more than I can. It says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. There's a song that we sing that's called uh, Take My Life, or could say Holiness is What I Long For, but it says, Take My Life, this is the title, Holiness, Holiness is What I Long For, Holiness is What I Need, Holiness is What You Want From Me. Take my life and form it, take my mind, transform it, take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. Righteousness Righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I need. Righteousness is what you want from me. Purity, purity is what I long for. Purity is what I need. Purity, purity is what you want from me. And I believe that when the body of Christ comes together and lifts our hearts together in unity, our songs become our prayers. What a beautiful picture to see and hear hearts and voices crying out to God to answer our cry for holiness, for purity and righteousness, not just for ourselves, but so that we can be a showcase for the Holy Spirit of God to be seen. When love and holiness abound, then unity is kept and restored if needed. We are one in the Spirit, is what Ephesians told us. Don't forget that. We are one. It doesn't matter where you, you attend church. We are one in the spirit of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you have ought against someone or know that someone has ought against you, fix it. Don't let it hinder the light of Jesus shining through you. Don't let it infect your church. Your unforgiveness, the ought that you're carrying or you know someone has ought against you and you won't go up and, and take care of it, it infects your church. The light of Jesus is that much dimmer because of your sin. That's why I say we all have a part. You can't, you can't, you can't fool God, and he'll put your finger on it. And so you need to make, take care of that. In Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, it goes on to say, if you'll turn back over there, It says, okay, um, here it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, that, what does that mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no longer we should be no no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. 
but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So this continues that picture of what church is to be. When we come to church, it's to be edified. It's to be exhorted. It's to be comforted. Here we read, God has given the pastors the responsibility and anointing to nurture us in the faith. We are blessed to have godly pastors who love us and tend to us. But that doesn't mean that we depend on them to feed us. We need to be feeding ourselves through our own personal time with the Lord. This will safeguard us from receiving any false teachings. And there's many that are going on out there. Also, we are to ask the Holy Spirit to show us how to pray for our pastors and leaders. We need to pray for them and support them and protect them when the enemy uses people to come against them and the work of God. If the enemy uh, can bring the pastor and leaders down, then the churches will suffer, and in a matter of time, so will the people. Don't compare your pastor to other pastors. You don't like to be compared to others, so why would you do that to them? Each pastor is who he is. God created him with his personality, with his gifting, and with his calling. I have witnessed so much cruelty coming out of professing Christians against their pastor, especially upon exiting the fellowship. Such a big power outage happens at that very moment. Don't fool yourself that you have the right to say the things you do and not be dealt with by the Lord who loves you and your pastor leader. The light of Jesus can't shine brightly with hearts filled with such flesh. We are encouraged in our daily walks and trials. We are exhorted to keep going and keep growing, laying aside the old nature and instead walk in the spirit. Never get tired of your pastor encouraging you to make it to stand strong in that trial that you're going through or your brothers and sisters for that matter are telling you. And to lay aside the whole na- the old nature, we need to be reminded of that. Put it aside, kill it, lay it down. It's, life isn't all about you. Ephesians 4.16 said, From whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working but by, by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We all have something to offer in love and the power of the Holy Spirit in your church. Never forget that. You have something to offer. You're not called to just go... F- in, listen, and leave. There's a part for you to do, and we'll see that as we go along here. So what should you be doing, point number three? And that is be useful in the church. It's your home. Do you just sit around on the couch all day long at home? The church is your home. It's a family all working together to glorify God. Think of that. You know, when we first started the church It felt like literally our home there all the time. My kids bouncing from chair to chair, running here and there, because it was their home too. We didn't want them to to despise church. It was do what you're going to do because we're going to be here for a long time. But God gave us gifts to use, but not in our own strength, but in the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit. And so in Romans now, chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, 
He reminds us of the gifts. Okay, it says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If you just heard that right there, that's, that's it. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy, prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And that's just covering just a, a portion. But there's so many giftings that God has given to each of us, and we're not to let them get grow dormant. There's a time sometimes to sit, but then God gave it to you. you, you there's nothing worse than to give a gift so, to somebody and have them say, I really don't want it anymore. I want to take it back if you maybe have someone else to give it to. I don't want to do that. If God's gifted you, then use the gift in the place of fellowship that you are serving today. As we step out in faith and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, great things happen. The greatest is the house of God becomes a showcase for the Holy Spirit who always glorifies God. When all the gifts are just functioning throughout the body, it's a showcase of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us. When non-believers walk into a spirit-filled church, they can surely say, God is in this place. But today in the year 2022, I am sad and grieved to say that in churches everywhere, we seem to have this one thing in common. Few people want to serve the Lord anymore. People do not want to sacrifice their time and therefore are refusing to use the gift or gifts God has given to them. When I go places today on almost every store, that is, there is a sign now that says, help needed. There's a shortage of help everywhere. And in return, many of the workers out there are very overworked. Well, that is the same happening within the church today. And how sad, because we are called to be different. If you are here tonight or listening online and can say that this is you, please take it to the Lord and let him change your heart. You are missing out and so are your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord who could be blessed by your gifting. And if you are the one who is overworked, then you need to be prayed over as well as so many others that are so overworked in the body of Christ today because no one wants to rise up and the place that lacks the most is the children. It's almost, you know, Jesus said, you know, when, when the 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 disciples are saying, take the children away from here. No, bring the children to me. Don't let them be cast aside. And yet today, that is the, not just at my church, every pastor's and pastor wife that we talk to, churches all over, except for those that are hiring help. Well, I don't want a hireling for my children. I want people that love them and that are concerned with their future. 
that I can just add to what their parents are already giving at home. And to some, the parents aren't giving anything at home. So you're the only teacher. We need help, and we can't be like the world. Pretty soon, is that what we need to put up on our churches? Help needed. Servants needed. Anybody, somebody, you know, come. We can't get desperate. But we need to pray for all who are so overworked right now. Now in Romans chapter 12, verse uh, 9, it says this through 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. That's what the church is to be doing. That's what goes on in church life and that we are need to do, do, be doing. What a beautiful showcase we will be when we do these things together. So as a recap of tonight, the first thing I reminded you of is that God did not create us to be isolated. We need each other. We need to be in fellowship. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Second, what should a spirit-filled church look like? Love must be the atmosphere. Love, love, love. Christians, this is your call. This is something that never changes when people when people see the church must, or, or say that the church must be relevant for the times. <laughs> love never changes. The godly love of Christ never changes. Let go also, who I brought to your attention, let go of any ought that you have and go to the one who may have ought against you so that you do not hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in your life or in your church. What should we be doing? Was the third point. Use your gifts to glorify our God. And if we do these things, then I believe the world will say of us, as Kathy said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here to, and you can fill in your city, to Covina, to Rancho Cucamonga, wherever it may be. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be with these precious women. And Lord, you have blessed us with the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. And you do desire to show yourself off to the world. And we as a church, we need to be doing that, God. We need to be allowing you to shine through us. And yet we know we have our part to do, God. We've got to be in fellowship. Stir hearts that are just so fearful, God. Help them, Lord, to cast that fear to you, over to you. That peace instead would invade their heart as they are reminded that they need to be back in the presence of the brethren to be built up. I pray for our pastors and our leaders and our servants who are overworked right now. God, we cry out for more help. Stir the hearts. Stir the hearts in this room, online, and to people that aren't even aware that their hearts would be stirred right now to get up and use the gifts that they have to realize that the church of God, your house, Lord, should not be lacking. And the people gave to the temple, came to a point that they, that they were told, now we have to stop, we have too much. May they have that happen again today in our churches. 
and help us, Lord, if we do have aught against anyone or know that someone has any aught against us, that we would deal correctly with that, God. Lord, thank you for this body here. Just continue to move in Calvary Chapel Cornerstone, Lord. Father, once again, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your precious Holy Spirit dwelling in us, empowering us, Lord, to walk this walk and shine for you. In Jesus' name I pray.